All right, welcome back to another Informed with Anthony. Let's talk. We have here today Steve Patterson, who is uh, going to be talking to us today about ProBoost. You know, thank you so much for joining us here today. However, Absolutely. I'm going to preface it uh, with what you're about to hear today in this podcast. It is not medical advice. I am not a licensed medical person. Neither is Steve Patterson. We're just two guys chatting it up and, um, you know, always talk to your licensed physician about medical advice. Again, this is not medical advice. So disclaimer. There we go. Steve, thank you so much for joining us here Absolutely. today. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, my name is Steve Patterson. Um, I used to be a graphic designer, creative director. Um, well, let me start with, uh, I have a wife and three kids, so more than anything, I'm a husband and a father. Nice. Um, love my three kids. They are 14, 12, and 8. Um, so yeah, I was a graphic designer, creative director, still kind of feel like that is my normal passion and whatnot. Um, but right now, I sell a immune system supplement called ProBoost. Um, it's a product that my father-in-law had discovered and patented. Um, he's an immunologist with a PhD in experimental biology from Baylor College of Medicine. Um, had gone to Notre Dame and UCLA as well, studied at Scripps, um, actually worked at uh, the Salk Institute, um, doing various lab tests and whatnot down there for a while. Um, but he started his own company, uh, worked with the boy in the bubble, um, and it was during that time that he discovered this. Um, so yeah, uh, several years ago, he reached out to me because the product was sort of failing. The company was failing and asked if I'd take it over. Uh, so that's kind of what I do now. Um, but yeah, uh, husband, father, uh, son of Jesus. There we go. I like <laughs> uh, it. What now, what was your upbringing like? Were you born and raised out here in SoCal? No. Or? Um, I was actually born in Minnesota. Okay. Uh, and then moved to Colorado for six years, which is why I continue to be a Denver Bronco fan to this day, <laughs> even though they suck and <laughs> Russell Wilson ain't doing so good. But uh, so I lived there for six years in the early to mid 80s, moved to North Dakota for two years. Um, and then from there, moved to Southern California, lived two places here, then moved up to Washington and then came back down to Southern California to go to APU for college. Uh, went there for about two and a half years before dropping out. I figured, you know, I could make $24,000 a year at a internet startup company in Hollywood, um, or I could keep paying $24,000 a year for college. <laughs> and I chose making money instead of spending money. It's so interesting. You said you're from North Dakota. I read a while back that the Dakotas have the highest retention in keeping people in their States. Cause I've, I've actually, even when I was in the military, uh, I've never met anyone from the Dakotas. And so I started looking, I'm like, I wonder what states retain their residents more. And it was like both Dakotas. And so it's interesting that you're from North Dakota. What would you say keeps people in the Dakotas? You obviously left after two years, but. You know, I think there's a, a small town mentality hmm. of you sort of grow up, you know, parents figure out what it is they're going to do. And then they sort of hand the business down to their family and, you know, you kind of know that that is the role that you're going to play. And, you know, I was there fourth and fifth grade. We had three and a half acres. Our lot was actually surrounded by a dirt road. Mm -hmm. And so we always knew if we were on our property or off of our property, laser tag was huge at that time. Okay. We had like three different tree houses. Um, so for the age that I was 
And for the things that we had going on, I mean, like I said, three different tree houses. We'd have people over all the time for laser tag. You know everybody in your town. Um, you know, shop at the Piggly Wiggly. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I remember this one time we had a deer on our property. My dad had a, a K5 blazer and we would chase the deer, like just driving on our property and whatnot. I just think there's a, a freedom, you know, a sense of, you know, you're just your own community. And right. why go away from that? I mean, we went away from that because my, my dad just changed jobs. In mm -hmm. fact, he, he did insurance sales and then he got a job for World Vision. Uh, relief and development organization. And so that actually moved us to Southern California. Um, in fact, they were stationed, they, their headquarters was in Monrovia, just, you know, a few miles away from where we are right now. Um, and then that was what brought me up to Washington because World Vision relocated their international office from Monrovia up to Auburn, Washington. But oh. yeah, I think people stay in those places just because it's the life that they want to live. I think there's a lot of people right now where it was like, wait, yeah. three and a half acres. Uh, I have my own property. I can do whatever I want. There's a lot of people that would kill for that <laughs> right now. And in fact, yeah, sounds great to me. Oh yeah, absolutely. I, I think that, um, especially I I've been a city boy all, all my life. I mean, we've lived like in some of the suburbs and stuff, which is where I'm at now up North of LA County. And it's definitely nice. It's kind of like, I wouldn't say like a happy in between, but yeah, I think that that's always like the goal, right? Like owning acres of land. Yeah. And I just don't think that's feasible in California <laughs> unless you're like some rich Bill Gates kind of guy, you know, where you're like, oh, I'm just going to buy acres of land in California. Yeah. You got to go up, you know, to central California or maybe northern California in order to find it. You know, you can go to Fallbrook, you know, mm -hmm. there's some acreage down there. We have wine country in Temecula, so we yeah. could go there and find you know, a few acres, but yeah, it's tough. Yeah, absolutely. So with the graphic designing, um, you went to school for that, you said? I never went to school. I was all self-taught. In fact, um, I still remember uh, stealing Photoshop when I think it was Photoshop <laughs> 2. Uh, I own all of my creative suite stuff now. I pay for it. <laughs> Adobe, don't come after me. Thank Clarification. you. Clarification. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I... I had Photoshop and then, you know, GeoCities and whatnot was super popular back then. So I, I would view that. the code of a website, learned how to code myself, you know, learned how learned to design to code. myself. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I spent three days, three all-nighters in a row, making a website, designing a website, building it, uh, didn't sleep, but then I thought it sucked. So mm -hmm. I did it again the next night and then I did it again the next night. Um, eventually got a job offer at a, um, internet startup in Hollywood. Um, just again, from being self-taught. So even though I went to APU, I dropped out about, you know, a year and a half into it. Um, what did you study there at APU? I think that's what I misconceived. I, I thought you went to APU for graphic design. Gotcha. No. Um, I was going for a major in communication with an emphasis in mass media. So okay. I thought I wanted to be a cinematographer. Okay, nice. And then, the, so the web developing and all that stuff, you just you just pick it up. I yeah, I um, I was part of a film society at APU. In fact, cool story. Uh, one of the guys that worked with us um, as part of it, his name is Derek Kolstad. He's the writer uh, and creator of John Wick. 
Oh, wow. So he was sleeping on couches uh, with people <laughs> from our film society and whatnot. And, uh, but yeah, Derek is kind of a cool story. And there's a few other people from our film society that are doing stuff um, within Hollywood and whatnot. And that's what I thought I wanted to do. But I started designing posters and websites for the films that we would create. And so um, the buddy of mine that started the film society, he had gotten a job at this company, Load Media Network in Hollywood, um, doing various camera stuff. So he was a cameraman for it and they needed a graphic designer. So he threw my name into the mix and the rest is history. The rest is history. I, you know, um, I, 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 my social media, a lot of people ask me like, Hey, like what, what, what did you do? Or like, how do you do these videos? Or how do you do this? And even like the, my producer over here, my buddy Sal, like everything, every, it seems like more and more like people are just self-taught. Yeah. It's like, Hey, if you really just want to do something, like you just have to go out there and do it. You know, it's interesting because for a while, um, as I kind of grew in the industry, um, you know, I interviewed a lot of new designers that were, you know, coming out of college, coming out of school and whatnot. And honestly, I didn't like the ones that went to school for graphic design. Mm -hmm. I liked the ones that were self-taught um, simply because the, and it's, I'm sure it's changed quite a bit now. But when they came out of school, they only understood typography and color theory and whatever else. Ask them to design a business card or a website, and they didn't know the practical application of the skills that they had learned. Mm -hmm. Whereas the people that were self-taught, they, you know, they just had to immerse themselves into it. And I'm sure the same is for you of like, all right, this is something that I want to do. You just start doing it and you learn as you go. Yeah. I feel like sometimes with schooling, uh, what happens is you, it's like a cookie cutter version of stuff. So you put like 20 people into a classroom and everyone has to operate by the same parameters, you know, like, Hey, th these are the rules and you have right. to obey them. So I think that sometimes when they get that first job, they're like, well, I just have to do what I did in school, but it's like, no, we're hiring you to be innovative and ambitious and to be creative. Absolutely. We're not paying you to be what the school, like the school gave you the tools. But I think that sometimes people, what, and I think that I've seen it across the board. I used to be a chef. I was a cook in the military for 10 years. Okay. And sometimes people, you know, there was two ways that you can become a cook. You can be, you can work with the cooks and, and then they'll teach you what they know. So you're kind of learning a little bit from everyone or you can go to school for it. Right. And I learned that some of the better cooks were people that didn't go to school because again, it was like a regimen. It was like, Hey, you go for X amount of months, you learn everything. You learn a perfect cut. You know, that a, a little cube or like a dice, you know, the difference between a small dice and a medium dice and a large dice potato or whatever. Right. And so that all sticks with you. And especially being in the military, like everything is so uniform, but the better ones for the people that just learn from everyone. So it's like, you're taking the best of everyone and then you're applying it to yourself. And so with me, with my platform, what I've done is like, well, what, you know, I don't need to go to school per se to become a social media influencer or a podcaster. You know, right. I didn't go to school to become a professional podcaster, Right. but I imitate the people that are, they're already really successful. And I'm like, well, if it's working for them, why wouldn't I do it? And so, I, you know, obviously you want to add your own personal flair to things. For right? sure. And there's, there's a reason why people follow you, not just, Oh, you know, there's people that might not listen to Joe Rogan, which is arguably the best podcaster in the world, right? <laughs> right. But there's people that tune into me, but they wouldn't tune into Joe Rogan because they're like, no, even though he's the best one, we like Anthony, right? Right. <laughs> and so, yeah, that's really interesting. What would you say like the percentages? 
maybe just a wild guess here of people that are in the industry that went to school versus people that were self-taught? I think it's changed quite a bit um, simply because there really wasn't web design or graphic design Mm -hmm. when I was in school. You know, I graduated high school in 96. Uh, The internet was just starting up, you know. Um, Whereas now, you know, I think graphic design and social media and all the different stuff that's out there, you know, if you want to get into that industry, you need to learn it. Um, so my assumption is it's much higher now than it was. I probably would have said it was 50, 50, mm-hmm. um, back when, you know, I kind of got into the industry. Um, you know, I, I really think it would be hard, um, for people to break in nowadays if it is all just self-taught. But I also think that the people that are self-taught are probably wanting to do their own thing as right. opposed to go, you know, work, work for, for somebody else. else. That makes sense. That makes sense. And I, and I definitely see that where maybe you'll have like a lot of these. And I think that we live in a time where it's easier to be kind of more like freelance or just like work for yourself. Yeah. Right? Cause I mean, everyone, America is great in this, like capitalism, like the way it works. It's like, Hey, you don't necessarily like in order to succeed, you don't have to go and work for an industry like Sony or, you know, Paramount pictures or whatever. You can just put your work on the internet. Yeah. And I mean, people go viral for things. I, I mean, I follow some of these pages, you know, I, I like to, I'm mostly political, but outside of politics, I love art. I like music, stuff like that. Uh, and, and, and I see like pages that have like millions of followers, especially on TikTok, where it's super easy to go viral nowadays. Right. Um, and you have like people that all they do is they jump like on an iPad and all they do is like draw caricatures yep. or whatever. Yep. And like, that's their video and they make like thousands a month. So it's like, sure. Like you're very gifted. And maybe at one point they were like, or maybe there was a time where they're like, the only way I'm going to get successful is if I go apply at Sony or if I work with, you know, Pixar, you right. know, but nowadays you can just create the content and I mean, let it do itself. Like social media is so great in that aspect. Yeah. I saw um, somebody on Instagram shared somebody else's tweet or something like that, but it was however many years ago it took $5 million to fund an internet tech startup. And now it costs like the average is $500 Wow! and it just shows, you know, just the, the change in tools that are available, you know, skill sets that are available, all of the like freemium type stuff that's out there to be able to start stuff. So yeah, things have just changed quite a bit. And you can even do it on your phone. So like for like a lot of my like podcasting stuff, I, I have an app called InShot. I don't know if you've okay. uh, no, heard no, no. of it. I mean, it's literally like the, the coolest thing. It lets you Photoshop. It lets you add your like your own logo. It, I mean, everything it does. And I'm like, dude, it's like $4.99 a month, you know? And I'm able to do everything from my phone. So like sometimes I'll be out there doing like Manor Street interviews or I'll be like covering some protests. And people always tell me like, dude, what do you use for like a software? And I'm like, right. dude, I literally do everything from my phone. Like yeah. I shoot on my phone because I mean... I, I don't know if you're team iPhone or team Android. Not sure. I have an iPhone. iPhone. Okay, cool. Good man. Um, <laughs> and, and, and I have like the, and, but the camera quality and the photo it's quality, it's amazing. So to me, it's like, okay, 
and again, it goes with like the, the, the technology of today before where maybe you had to carry like these large camera crews and all that stuff. And you still have them, right? Like right. the local news stations, they'll send out a camera guy and he's got to have a big camera. Yep. But with me, I literally just point and shoot with my phone. And you'd be surprised, and I'm sure you've experienced it, where I can be in a crowd of people and I'll be pointing my small iPhone to the person, and even with all the protesting around and all like the air horns going off or people making loud sounds, it picks up the audio of the person you're interviewing wow. because the iPhone recognizes, hey, you're shooting a video. It recognizes that the person is in front of you or whatever. And I mean, the technology is insane. And so people always tell me like, dude, what do you use? Like your editing software. And this is, I'm like, dude, I literally use like a small little 499 app, which before... I'm sure, you know, you had to go out there and record. Then you got to bring it back into the studio. Then you got to cut, edit, and you got to pay all these producers and editing and software. Now everything is at the palm of your hand. Oh, yeah. It's It's absolutely insane. Um, But with that, we'll go, um, we'll kind of just jump into uh, ProBoost. The reason why we're all here. Um, Yeah. The shirt, immune support is life support. I like it. so why don't you tell us a little bit about, so you said your father-in-law? Father-in-law, Father-in-law yes. was the one that kind of had the company ProBoost or at the, yep. least the tech behind it or the supplement. Right. Why don't you tell us a little bit about how all that happened and how you got involved with ProBoost? Okay. So yeah, my father-in-law is Dr. Beardsley. He's a PhD in immunology. Um, he got his degree in experimental biology from... Uh, I think I mentioned Baylor College of Medicine. He went to uh, Notre Dame first. Um, he was actually a walk-on on the football team at Notre Dame. In fact, we just got back from a trip, a boys' trip. We took um, my father-in-law, took his son, two sons-in-law, and four grandsons uh, to Notre Dame. We got to go to South Bend and watch the football game, even though they lost. Um, but he went to Notre Dame and then transferred to UCLA, um, got his undergrad at UCLA, and then went to Baylor College of Medicine. Um, but he has studied the immune system for his entire life. Um, his specific um, uh, specialty is the thymus gland. Um, and he he worked with the bubble boy, if you're familiar with the story of the bubble boy. Um, people might recognize there's two different movies. John Travolta played the Bubble Boy in one of them. Jake Gyllenhaal played the Bubble Boy in another I think one. That's the one I saw. Okay. With <laughs> um, so he worked with the boy in the bubble, which, for people that don't know, is this boy that was born without an immune system. Um, so they put him in this just kind of you know man-made bubble in the hospital because um, literally any disease that this kid would have gotten probably would have killed him. Um, mm. In fact, we made. a a semi lighthearted post on what would happen if you didn't have an immune system. And, you know, the comment was first you get sick and then eventually more of you get sick and more of you get sick. And ultimately it leads to death. Um, and how do we know that we know that because he worked with the boy in the bubble that had no immune system. And unfortunately it was just a reality of the situation, but eventually he passed away. Mm. Um, But it was through that and during the AIDS epidemic specifically that he learned of a very specific protein in the thymus gland that is, it activates B cells and T cells within your body. Well, the thymus gland begins to atrophy as soon as you hit puberty. 
And for a long time, people thought the thymus gland was just an unneeded gland in the body. Nobody knew what it did or why it did what it did. And they didn't think it was a big deal that it eventually, you know, faded away. Um, but the reality is it releases this protein into the body and it activates um, T cells in the thymus gland and B cells in the bone marrow, um, which are both key to our immunity. So he discovered the protein. He was the first person in the world to isolate that specific protein and extract that whole specific protein. Um, and then created a dietary supplement off of it called ProBoost, um, which is an immune system supplement. So basically that thymus gland, as it shrinks and produces less of that protein to activate those cells, we give you that protein back. Mm -hmm. And so you can continue to activate your T cells and B cells and white blood cells, et cetera. So he discovered that, um, and it was about 29 years ago, um, that he created ProBoost and, for a while, all they did was market specifically to physicians, mm -hmm. um, to private practice, doctors, chiropractors, naturopaths, acupuncturists, stuff like that. Um, and they were quite successful in the 90s and 2000s, um, you know, way before Amazon and, you know, a lot of these other immune system supplements, you know, came out. I mean, we were there before airborne, we were there before emergency, we were there before now what is thousands upon thousands of, um, immune system supplements. And, uh, so he did that for a long time. And then, um, if I can take a, a little bit of a tangent, um, I knew about it when I met my, my, who is now my wife, Jody, mm -hmm. And she told me a little bit about what her, you know, dad did. And I was like, okay, that sounds pretty cool. Nobody knows scientists anymore, <laughs> but he literally worked in a lab. You know, you walk into his office and there's a laboratory, you know? Mm -hmm. And, um, so I knew a little bit about it, but not much. And then my daughter, when she was seven years old, she's our 14 year old now, um, when she was seven years old, she was diagnosed with a super rare incurable autoimmune disorder called juvenile dermatomyositis, um, which it attacks all of your healthy tissues and muscles and whatnot. In fact, um, at her worst, she was at the hospital down in Rades in San Diego. And I'll tell the story where she, when she was six, she loved to play the game. Sorry. Mm -hmm. Um, and at her worst in the hospital, she literally could not, she didn't have enough muscle like ability to pick the card up and turn it over. Wow. We would literally play the game for her as she sat in her bed, unable to move. Um, and, uh, so we didn't know anything about it. Most people don't. It's a, you know, two or three in a million kids, um, get diagnosed with it. So it's super, super rare. Um, they don't know like what a, causes it either. Nobody knows what causes it. Okay. Now we could go into what my wife thinks caused it, mm -hmm. um, which she, she thinks that maybe it was one of the, um, uh, what is it? The, the, uh, vaccines or, you know, kids have to go through various different, uh, series of injections when they're young, you right? Know, give them a lot of them. Their, yes. A lot and of them. It only gets more and more. I think they're yes. just about to add this new one onto that regimen of what I believe it's been approved for it, but it's not mandatory mm -hmm. is the thing. 
Um, yeah, I think it's I think it's gonna go state to state. So I think like that's a CDC, if I'm not mistaken, they approved it to go on to like the recommended. They always say recommended, right? But unfortunately, because we live in California, it usually means mandatory. Yeah. Well, so. and mandatory is definitely something that I fought very hard against. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll jump there in a second. So when she was diagnosed, um, again, with this disease that we had never heard about, uh, they said she lit up like a Christmas tree when they did the MRI, which basically your muscles, as they're being attacked, they will send off a signal. And when they do this specific test, uh, anything that lights up shows that that muscle is being attacked. Mm -hmm. Well, they said she lit up like a Christmas tree. I mean, every single muscle in her body was being attacked by her immune system. So, what really got me into ProBoost was um, my my father-in-law, Dr. Beardsley. He also has a, an animal health company. Mm-hmm. And that animal health company had had, at the time, um, approvals, USDA approvals for treating feline leukemia virus, so cancer in cats, feline immunodeficiency virus, or what is essentially AIDS in cats, and then canine osteoarthritis. Um, and I had asked the doctor, you know, what the, what the protocol is going to be for Avery. You know, what do we do? And they said they treat JDM patients with a combination of how they treat cancer and arthritis in humans. Mm-hmm. Now, like we said at the, the beginning of this, I'm no doctor. You know, I don't know anything about this stuff. So I went to my father-in-law and I was just like, all right, they just said cancer and arthritis. And I know that um, our animal health company you know, has approvals for cancer and arthritis in animals. And I know that all of your study, you know, was about stuff in humans. Should we give Avery the product? And he's just said, absolutely. Yes. And, you know, Jody, my wife, she was mama bear all through, you know, Avery's diagnosis and whatnot. And so she went, she's like, all right, we're giving her six packets a day. <laughs> you know, we're going to see what we can do about this. Um, And I'm sure that there are lots of reasons why Avery's story is different than most of the other kids that were diagnosed at the same time. But about two years after she was diagnosed, she was in full remission. And there are kids that, you know, were diagnosed around the same time, even before her, that continue, you know, every year to get their two or three rounds of IVIG infusions, which are hundreds of thousands of dollars um, of medical bills for these IVIG infusions. They continue to have to get their methotrexate shots, which is a, essentially a form of chemotherapy um, at home. You know, so these kids are continuing to go through this, you know, now eight, nine years after Avery was diagnosed and seven years after, you know, she was declared in remission. Um, and so the, the product itself started to, the people that were selling it, they just really weren't promoting it. They weren't doing a good job of, of getting out there and spreading the word and, and whatnot. And so Dr. Beardsley asked me if I would take it over. And, <laughs> you know, I, I had had my own um, agency. You know, I was doing good, fun work within the design community. I mean, two of my passion industries are the entertainment industry and the sports industry. And I was working with awesome clients, you know, doing stuff like that. Um, but when I had the decision of, do I continue to do this stuff that's fun and fulfilling for me, or do I switch and possibly work for something that I personally feel like was instrumental in saving my daughter's life? It just wasn't even a decision. I was like, all right, we're going to try to do this and, and see what we can do with it. 
So about three years ago, I took over ProBoost and I've been running with it ever since. That's amazing. So what was like the regimen that you had your daughter on? Was it like the six? Like, can you kind of just explain like how, like what, what did it look like? What she was doing before you decided to do the pro boost? Did you guys have to get like medical clearance from the doctor? Did the doctor have to approve it? Like, can you just kind of break it down? And, and then how long was she taking pro boost? Was it daily, right. weekly? You know, our, our situation is a bit unique uh, in that um, Avery's grandpa is an immunologist, you know, mm-hmm. a PhD, a doctor. Um, so did we go to our doctor and get approval? Of course. We went to, you know, grandpa doctor okay. <laughs> and uh, got approval. Um, you know, but no, we didn't go specifically to any of the doctors that were treating her. Now, um, Dr. Sheets, who was her specific, um, the person that diagnosed her, and it was, it was literally like little nodules that were on her cuticles of her fingers that he saw. Um, Radies is a, a teaching hospital. So when she initially went in, it was one of those scenes, almost like a, you know, a scene from ER Grey's Anatomy, where you have like all of the student doctors standing mm-hmm. around and you got a main doctor like, Hey, does anybody know what this is? And everybody's like, Oh, I have, I have no idea what it is. Uh, and so Dr. Sheets was the one that kind of in passing saw what was going on. And he's like, Oh, you know, this is juvenile dermatomyositis. So he knew that we were giving her ProBoost and he didn't have any issues with it. In fact, Dr. Beardsley has met with Dr. Sheets, you know, multiple times to talk about various different things. Um, but it was really just Jody that was like, I'm going to do whatever I can for my baby girl. Um, and she decided, uh, okay, we're just going to start giving her two packets at a time, uh, morning, noon, and night. Um, you know, you typically want to take it a certain, usually it's about an hour away from eating any meals and whatnot. Um, but she would just give Avery two packets at a time, six packets a day. And, uh, you know, it just, she went, we did this thing where we started counting her steps. Um, you know, before like all of your fitness trackers and whatnot were around, Um, and we made it kind of a game for her of like, can you get up to 500 steps? Can you get up to a thousand steps? And at first it was, you know, three steps out of our, you know, front door. And that was all that she could take. And we just started seeing the strength kind of come back into her. And then there is a cure JM community on Facebook specifically for moms, but, um, Jody kind of. She, she took the side of she was going to deal with it internally. Mm-hmm. Um, I was the one that kind of, you know, I needed a release a little bit. Um, so I got involved with this Cure JM Moms group on Facebook. And it was really just kind of seeing how different Avery was compared to all of the other kids at the same time where we're like, maybe there's something here, you mm-hmm. know. Um, just real and, quickly, like, uh, just for like the people listening, uh, when you say like two packets, can you kind of like break it down? Like, so was it like 25 milligrams of something or like just what that looked like? Sure. Um, there are four micrograms of the active ingredient in every single packet. So okay. it is an incredibly powerful protein. Um, the rest of the stuff that's in the packet is simply maltodextrin. So there's only two ingredients. You know, I know these days with 
you know, everything that's on the market as far as whether it's supplements or even food or fake foods or whatever, you know, there's so many ingredients in things. And this was nice because it's just thymic protein A and maltodextrin. Now we get a hard time every once in a while about the maltodextrin that we use, but we have to use something because four micrograms is almost invisible to the human eye. Um, but it's four micrograms per packet. It's uh, 0.65 grams of multidextrin in it. And it's just this little powder packet. You tear it open, mm-hmm. pour it under your tongue, uh, and let it sit there till it dissolves. So we would double up on it. We would give her two packets and she would put that under her tongue, hold it there until it dissolves, you know, not eat for about 30 minutes or an hour afterwards. Um, and we just did that morning, noon and night. And, and how soon after like that did you, I, I know you say you started counting like the steps and stuff like that, but was there like a, like a visible reaction that you guys saw in, in your daughter that like, wait a minute, like she, she, she kind of looks better today or, yeah. you know, maybe she said it like, Hey, like I actually want to do something different or, you know, it was, it was gradual. And I think that's one of the things, you know, a lot of people are like, what is the instant benefit of something that I'm, you know, going to take and excuse me, we work really hard um, on when we talk about the product that this is not something where you just take and all of a sudden you're going to feel better. Mm -hmm. You know, there's not a bunch of sugar in it that's going to give you that sugar high. Um, There's not a bunch of other ingredients. You know, there's no caffeine in it, so you're going to feel awake or whatever. And I think a lot of supplements or a lot of things within this industry you know, it's about what's the, that instant gratification, you know, how do I feel immediately after taking something? And it doesn't work like that. You know, it's like, even if somebody has the strongest immune system in the world, if they get exposed to a certain virus or bacteria infection or whatever, they're probably going to get sick, but somebody with a good immune system, they're going to get over it quicker. You know, that immune system is going to learn that thing and then not get sick the next time. So it really, it really is about strengthening the immune system and then letting, letting the immune system do its job. Right. Um, and so it wasn't something where like one day, all of a sudden Avery is just, you know, up and dancing around, you know, it's not like Jesus telling the, you know, guy at the pool, you know, get up and walk. And all of a sudden he can walk. I mean, it wasn't like that for Mm -hmm. Avery. Um, but her progress was just so much faster than all of the other kids. And again, I, there, there are countless number of reasons that it could have been. Um, but we just can't look past the idea that Avery had access to ProBoost. None of these other kids did. And her story is just miraculously different than, than all of these other kids. Did she continue being on other treatment as well? So did you do like the ProBoost on top of the other treatment? Or was there like a time where you're like, let's just try the ProBoost just solely? Or? So she had two rounds of IVIG infusions. Um, and we did methotrexate shots. Uh, we did the methotrexate. It was for about a year and a half. Um, the IVIG infusions, there were just two of them and they were fairly early on. Um, a lot of these kids have huge regimens where, you know, they, um, they go into the hospital several times a year, um, or they take, you know, other specific drugs, um, you know, multiple times. Avery wasn't with that. It was just the methotrexate and the IVIG infusions and the IVIG infusions stopped fairly early. 
Um, so it was just methotrexate and the ProBoost. Um, and then it's really, so she would have to go into, there's actually a, a Rady's satellite campus in Temecula. So we would take her there. They would do blood work. They would see what her CK levels are, which is basically a reading of how much your muscles are being attacked. If you do a heavy round of exercise and you were to go get your blood panel or whatever, you would see a high level of blood CK because your like your body's trying to rebuild those muscles that you just tore down. Right. So it was like that with her of, she would go in, they would check her blood CK levels and she just continually consistently got better and better and better. Um, and then they took her off methotrexate and we were just on pro boost and that was it. And ever since she went in medical remission, she has never had a flare. Uh, there are a lot of parents that don't let their kids go out in the sun don't let their kids participate in too many physical activities. Um, Avery, about a year after she was declared in medical remission, she did a triathlon with me. Oh, wow. So we were down in San Diego. I did the spring sprint. I was about 40 pounds heavier than I am now. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And uh, in fact, I have a photo of it that's just absolutely horrible. I'm wearing this onesie thing that my wife had bought me that I should not have been wearing. Um, but she's down there and she did this triathlon and, um, you know, it, the fear is that the response by the immune system to attempting to heal the muscles, um, after a physical workout will ignite the disease again. Mm -hmm. Same thing with the sun. If you get a sunburn, there is an immune response to that sunburn. So anything that triggers a certain kind of immune response might also trigger a flare, um, which, you know, if we want to talk about various different things, it's why we didn't get the, you know, specific shot that has come out recently recently because it will instigate an immune response. Mm -hmm. And that's, we didn't want to risk the idea that that immune response would ignite her juvenile dermatomyositis again. You brought up something very interesting. I know that that is something that a lot of parents have argued for. And I remember watching like the Twitter world just, which by the way, if you're not on Twitter, probably best you stay out of there. But (laughs) regardless, even if you are, Twitter is just the absolute worst um, when it comes to any kind of politics or anything like that. For sure. Um, But I know that one of the concerns that parents had, especially in California, because California had some of the harshest mandates. And, you know, we still don't know if they're going to be mandating it for school. Right. um, Because the CDC just passed that uh, jab. I call it a jab. It seems to be doing fairly well as far as censorship whenever I call it a jab versus the V word. (laughs) Um, But you're, you're obviously parents of someone that had an autoimmune disease. Right. And so you have serious concerns. Right. And so how, I guess maybe in your own testimony, um, was there like, were you able to get like, um, medical exemption for that or how did you bypass or how, was there ever a time that you had to bypass it or, uh, my wife, uh, she was a teacher. Mm-hmm. She, she was homeschooled all growing up. Um, your daughter. And so, no, my oh, wife was oh, actually wife. Okay. homeschooled. Um, and so very early on in us having kids, she had decided she was going to homeschool our kids. Oh, okay. So all three of our kids were being homeschooled at the beginning of 2020 when mm. all of this happened. So we never had to have an issue. In fact, um, Avery went through, you know, there's 
obviously the several rounds of the inoculations that they give to kids. Avery went through the first round of it, and you know Jody thinks that there might be some correlation between that and Avery getting um, JDM. Whether it was or not, um, we stopped it after that just because she got so sick. It was like, okay, we don't want to introduce, you know, new stuff to her. And as we know, with a lot of these inoculations, there are multiple at, you know, certain times. And so to give her something like that um, with her having been so sick, we just we didn't feel like it was a good idea. But since we were homeschooled, we didn't have to worry about it. You know, right. we didn't have to send her to public school where they check all of the vaccinations and, and whatnot. However, she is um, she is a freshman this year, and she wanted to go to a regular high school. So not only did we have to check with the um, the current jabs, um, we had to check with everything else and make sure it was okay that she had an exemption. Um, we weren't able to get a medical exemption mm. despite the fact that you know my father-in-law is an immunologist we went to dr sheets who understands all the different stuff but he just gave us a default response of well the um uh radies uh medical director said that you know we can't give medical exemptions for this specific thing and we're, well we have a very specific case, like, why wouldn't you? And it's just like, I just have to listen to my boss. My assumption is that boss had to listen to another boss who had to listen to another boss. And it goes all the way up to, you know, a very specific person, you know, in the government who said, you know, we should all get this. Um, but no, we, we didn't, um, I, I, I can't remember if my wife got a, a religious exemption or if we had to do anything, but they didn't mandate it at the school that she's going to in Temecula. Okay. So we were cool. The homeschooling stuff, that makes sense. I, You know, hindsight, 2020, 2020 just woke up a lot of people, and especially now with this new mandated jab, a lot of people are very hesitant. Um, I know in my household, like my wife was a medical receptionist and we knew that the mandates were coming. And so she actually made the decision. We talked about it. We're like, Hey, it looks like it's going to happen, you know, right. The mandates. And right. so we have to make the decision. And so she was like, well, I don't want to get it. And I'm like, then just quit now, you know, don't wait till they fire you. Just, just quit ahead of time. And so she ended up uh, resigning from her job uh, about a month and a half before the mandate came down. It was like, I think she quit July, uh, 2021 or no, was it July of this year? I don't know. When was the mandates? It was last year, right? 2021 with like the job where it was 20 for healthcare workers. Was it 2020? Was I think it, it was, I thought it was still at the end of 2020. I, well, I think it was right. Cause the recall was last year, 2021. Right. And I remember that people were voting against Newsom because right. of that healthcare yes. mandate. So Absolutely. I think it was 2021. So I think July they had said that in California, all healthcare workers, anyone that worked in a hospital basically had to get that jab. And so we already knew like, well, it's coming. And then, so she resigned late July, I think, or early August. And then September 30th was the deadline. I'm like, well, we dodged that bullet there. Yeah. And then my mom, she also works in healthcare. She was basically forced retired because she had, what's crazy is she worked for Kaiser and then she submitted a, a religious exemption, right. which I, we helped her get. And then they accepted it and they're like, okay, you're good to go. So right. there she was for a couple months after September 30th deadline for healthcare workers. Then in December, they call her up just randomly and they're like, hey, um, 
you need to go get it or you're fired effective tomorrow. And she's like, what? Like, what happened to my religious exemption? Right. It's like, oh, they've been denied. And so there's actually a lawsuit. I'm actually headed there tomorrow, uh, November 2nd, um, uh, with Kaiser employees that are suing Kaiser. And it's going to be like a class action lawsuit, yeah. I believe, because of the, of the mandates. Because obviously there's more information coming out Correct. on this uh, jab uh, that now people are like, uh-oh. You know, like, yeah. this is not good that they was forced upon us. Had we known all of this, maybe we would have, you know, not done this. And so w- my my point was that looking back at not just this one, but at all of them. Right. And like the things, you know, and I'm just like, man, I because, you know, my 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 little one, he was born at seven months and it was because my wife had preeclampsia. I think that's okay. what it's called. Yeah. And so. Uh, I, I, I've always been concerned at how many of these inoculations they get right. at any given time. And I remember this last, this last set for my son, for him to go to kindergarten, I don't remember exactly how, I think it was like four at a time. And then I was looking at them and what they prevent. And I think, I, I don't know if it was like hepatitis B, that, 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 okay. uh, uh, jab where it's like, um, I don't remember the specifics. Don't hold me to it. But it was like uh, to prevent children that le- live like near raw sewage or something like that. So it's like, so you don't get sick near raw sewage. And I'm like, okay, maybe if we live like in a third world country, I would understand having to get this. But we live in America and my children don't go near raw sewage. Yeah. So we opted out of it. And like the doctor just kind of looked at us like, Okay, that's kind of new. Usually people don't ask or right. question it. They right. just to just do it, you yeah. know? And so looking back at it now, I'm like I look at some of the conditions we all have and I'm like I wonder if it's because well, I, you know, you said a good thing right there. Um we just did it. Right. You know, we didn't we look into it. Exactly, you know. Um my wife, she got into I know Candace Owens did a whole series on her looking into all of the different vaccines that are part of those regimens. She mm-hmm. started looking into it. My wife listened to all of those. I didn't really get into it. Um, but it was crazy, you know, the information that Candace was digging up on why some of these exist and what it's supposed to do and even some of the studies and whatnot that went into it. I Just the other day, I saw that the FDA was taking away an approval for a specific drug that they had approved 10 years prior. Mm-hmm. And they were taking it away because another study 10 years later showed that it literally did nothing mm-hmm. for the thing that it was supposed to do. And it's like, Okay, so then how did they approve it in the first place? And how did it last for 10 years, you know, in the system? And are we supposed to be celebrating right now that (laughs) they're deciding to take it off the shelves or whatever it is? Um, But yeah, you know, I I think, like you said, a lot of eyes have been opened Mm. to just looking into stuff, you know, and doing your own research and understanding why it is that we're taking things. You know, I have, my older brother has diabetes. Um, he's had all of his toes amputated from the complications because of the diabetes. And he lives in an old folks home in, uh, Indiana, somewhere outside of Indianapolis. And all of the people in the old folks home had to get the jab and you kind of understood, okay, 
all these people are old. They all have very specific conditions. Okay, it makes sense. My 93-year-old grandpa decided to get it. Okay, you know, if that guy gets even just a normal flu, you know, he's going to be high risk for something going on. Um, but then, you know, people that are perfectly healthy, you know, it was just, why? Why do I need to do this? And I think if we, if we look at all of the, you know, pre-existing ones that are out there and just ask that question of why, you know, yeah, there's going to be doctors that kind of look at you sideways. Mm -hmm. And it's just because of exactly what you said, like people... Like people never questioned this. They just always did it. Right. And I wonder if the doctors question it or if they just always did it because it's what the doctor before them did. And it's what the doctor before right. them did. You and, know? You know, I, I was in nursing school for uh, about a year and a half, a little bit longer maybe. And I remember that when I came down to some of the required jabs, um, we were always taught how like what it was for. We were taught how to apply it to the person or how to inoculate person. You know, you want to make sure that it's a relaxed muscle tissue, et cetera, et cetera, at 45 degree angle, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but we were never taught what was inside of them or, or like, <laughs> hey, like there might be, you know, obviously with everything, there's there, there can be um, maybe not everything, but most medicinal drugs or Western uh, pharmaceuticals, there's, there's side effects. And sometimes the side effects are worse than the actual like what you have. And, and sometimes I'm just like, it, it, we would have to remember, I remember like for, uh, uh, some of our tests, we would have to remember some of the side effects for right. like, okay, I'm going to give you the list of side effects. What is the disease or what is the medicine that you're giving? And I'm like, right. This sounds awful. Like yeah. throwing up and like a, a lot is like one of the side effects. Yeah. Like this sounds so bad, but you're, you're right in that we weren't necessarily taught about that specific job, we were just taught how to apply it and why we give it. So like here we were at like nursing homes and for like the yearly flu uh, jab, we would just go around and, and give it to the patient. We just make sure that they don't have like any allergies or whatever right. to the specific, but we didn't really ask chronic diseases or, you know, um, I think maybe like the only question that we would ask is, have you ever had like an allergic reaction, reaction. to it? Yeah. Which was like the only question you asked, but then here you are and you're just, all right, you know, let's try to get as many people as we can or whatever. Um, and I do remember that at this nursing home that I worked at, whenever the patient refused, we always had to make a case for it. So it's almost like you have to try to convince them to get it. Right. It was never like, if they refuse it, that's it. No questions asked. They refuse it. It's their Right. It's always, especially when you were dealing with old folks, like, well, why, why don't you want to get it? Like, what kind of concerns? Do you want me to go get the doctor? You know, do you want me to have them? Right. You know, just to kind of instill that. No, it's going to be fine. This is not. I, I just remember that. It was thinking about it now where we are today. I'm just like, wait a minute. Well, and it's funny, you know, we're talking about the medical side of things and vaccinations and whatever, but it pertains to so many other areas of life. Correct. You know, like... We're looking at deodorants right now and yeah. aluminum and deodorants versus... I just switched my deodorant Dude, because of that. <laughs> I used to take... I used to use Old Spice, right? And mm -hmm. I would go to the ocean when I was a kid and my armpits would burn like crazy. <laughs> and I was just like, okay, I'm not going to use Old Spice anymore. And so then I'd use something else. And I, I kind of have this issue where I sweat too much. And so I was using like 
like uh, prescription grade, you know, um, antiperspirant and whatnot. And it was starting to cause problems. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know anything about what is in deodorant and whatnot. And then all of a sudden these natural deodorants, you know, no aluminum, no parabens or whatever that word is. Um, I switched to a natural deodorant and my armpits have never felt better. Right. (laughs) But, you know... I think there's so much talk specifically around the medical side of things, but it's in so many other things as well, you know, from the food that we eat to, you know, deodorants to shampoo to, I mean, countless other things. And I think it's good. It's good to ask ourselves the question of like, just because this has been status quo for so long, doesn't necessarily make it right or wrong, Correct. you know, and with the internet and whatever else, you know, like people even look down at people for doing their own research right now. Like when, when has that ever been a thing to like, oh no, don't do your own research. Right. And I think that especially when you see that society is getting sicker and sicker, you know, I always call it the pharma mafia because it's like, uh, as the saying goes, there's no money in healthy patients. Yeah. And it's, it's unfortunate because, you know, uh, I think that the bottom line for them is, you know, how much money can we make? Not all, you know, I I wouldn't say that there's, I think there's a lot of good doctors out there, a lot of good nurses, a lot of them that spoke out when the mandates were coming down. And of course they were all shut down. Yeah. But those were then fake doctors or something like that. Right. Which now are being like amplified because like, oh, maybe they were right. I don't know if you saw that uh, article by the Atlantic. Uh, It it was like being shared everywhere where they said, maybe we need uh, pandemic amnesia. And so like on the bottom, it said like, sure, we made a lot of mistakes, but I think it's better to forgive and that we just forget like what happened throughout the pandemic. And I mean, he was spraying like wildfire, like, are you kidding me? Like you locked us down. Right. You told our children that we couldn't visit their grandparents because you would, you know, kill them or whatever. Right. Like, absolutely. We're not going to have pandemic amnesia. Like you're out of your mind. Um, but with that, just going back a little bit to, to the pro boost. So, um, did you, I, I know you said that you guys belong to like the community online. Have you guys reached out to other people to say like, Hey, not saying it's a cure, right. But it did help our daughter. Right. Would you want to consider it or so fairly early on I did. Um, and you know, I was, I was in a weird position. I feel like because the supplement industry in general, um, can be hard to trust, right? There's not a whole bunch of regulation around it. Um, a lot of people can make a supplement and, you know, make whatever non-disease claims they want. And then you just take it and hopefully it works. Maybe it doesn't, you don't really know. Um, the fact that it was my own father-in-law and then it was my daughter and I was trying to promote it I think it might've come off as, you know, here's this guy just trying to sell his wares and Mm -hmm. make some money off of his daughter's disease. Selling snake oil. Exactly. (laughs) Um, The thing was, I wasn't even trying to sell it. I was like, if any kid wants to take this, like I will make it available and we'll figure it out. Um, I got, I got a lot of negative, um, Nobody was necessarily mean to me, but it was just a dismissive sort of vibe. Like, all right, you know, your own father-in-law, your own product, you know, we're not going to help you get rich off of your daughter's disease. Um, and then fast forward several years, um, probably about 
six months or nine months ago, I reached back out to Cure JM. I was very active in the community when Avery originally got sick and during her healing process. And then I just kind of ignored it for a little bit. I, I got a bad taste in my mouth after, you know, people just kind of dismissing me and whatnot. And then I finally just got the sense of, you know what, I have to, I have to not care what people think about me because it's not about me. You know, it's about these kids that, especially the ones who are now eight, nine years of going through these medical treatments. I mean, I've met parents where they are not, not the entire medical bills, but the part of the medical bills that they owe are like $3 million. Um, and those are the types of people where it's like, okay, a box of... I'm not even going to make you pay for it, but a box of ProBoost costs 50 bucks, right. <laughs> you know, and that's a month, you know, worth of product, depending on how much you're taking per day. But it's like, here's this opportunity to see if this thing will work that might be able to get you out of all of the hospital bills and whatnot that you're paying, at least give it a shot. Mm-hmm. And I finally decided, you know what, I don't care what people think about me because it's about the kids. It's not about me. Um, Avery's very passionate about, you know, talking about her story. We did a cure JM walk down in Temecula, you know, that, that Sal came down for, um, just trying to spread awareness and raise some money for cure JM. Um, Dr. Beardsley is trying to get, they have a, um, a medical board and a grandparents sort of, um, advisory board that helps with stuff. I'm trying to get him on that. Um, in fact, we're trying to raise money to help with certain studies. They're doing several FDA studies, um, to see about various products and their effectiveness on cure JM. So I'm trying to get thymic protein a, which is the active ingredient in ProBoost. We refer to it as TPA most of the time, but we're trying to get TPA tested to see what effect it has within specifically cure JM patients. So there has been an attempt, but it's just one of those things. And because there are no like instant gratification sort of results, you know, Mm. it's a, it's a patience sort of deal. You know, you take it and I like to refer to it as it doesn't treat anything. It makes your immune system function the way that your immune system is supposed to function. Like God gave us an immune system that works and adapts. It learns. I mean, it, it's, it's an amazing thing, you know, right. that happens within our body. The sad thing is, you know, stuff gets in there and screws with it. And so the product itself is actually what's called an immune modulator or um, an immune regulator, which means it can both increase the immune response um, in case of foreign antigens. So think of something attacking your like immune system from the outside, whether that's a cold or a virus or this or that or whatever. Um, you need an immune system response that increases in that case. But it can also downregulate the immune system. So in the case of like Avery's situation where she has an overactive immune system, it's not recognizing self. And so it's attacking self. So it can downregulate the immune system in that case. And it's been, it has been studied and proven to be an effective immune modulator. So it can do both. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's just not really heard of or seen within the industry. Um, and so all it really does is it makes your immune system 
fight and attack and protect the way that your immune system is supposed to do it. So, you know, there's this growing swell of natural immunity and there's nothing better for natural immunity than continuing to take ProBoost because it's taking the thing that your body like is supposed to create to help your immune system. And it's just giving you more of that, especially as your body stops creating it. Yeah. And you said that, um, it's obviously serious enough that you've had, I think you were talking about it earlier, uh, that, uh, companies have come looking for this product and said, Hey, we'd like to either look into it or invest in it or buy it out. All right. But you had some concerns about them kind of like shelving it. Like, can you kind of elaborate on that a bit? So yeah, in the, on the animal health side of things. So it's the same active ingredient that's in our animal injectables that's in our dietary supplement. Now you have a pharmaceutical grade version, which is the injectable for cats and dogs. And then you have like food grade, which is the dietary supplement. So down in our lab in Marietta, um, we purify the specific protein. And then during that purification process, it kind of takes, you know, two different paths, depending on whether it's going to be the human dietary supplement or if it's going to be the animal injectable. So it's the animal injectable side, T-site therapeutics, um, that we've had several companies. Well, even if we go back to my father-in-law, um, during the AIDS, the, the race to find a cure for AIDS, he had several companies that were looking at his product, his discovery as an opportunity to possibly treat, or I don't want to say cure AIDS, but as, as an option during that race, he had several meetings out in New York and whatnot with fairly large companies. I forget the names of them at the time, but they were looking at it. Mm -hmm. Um, and stuff didn't work out with that, but once he started his animal health company, and especially after we got the canine osteoarthritis um, approval from the USDA, we had several large big pharma companies come knocking on the door looking to, you know, make an offer for the company. And Terry, Dr. Beardsley, he would always give them, okay, like, you know, this is the amount that we're looking for, blah, blah, blah. And they would just lowball it, you know, mm -hmm. like offer him a million dollars for like, we're talking 40 years worth of life's work, three patents, like the first person in the world to discover a protein, to isolate a protein and to extract a protein. You know, we're talking about, you know, the government right now is paying off certain amounts of college tuitions and whatnot. And, and, you know, so he went to school for however many years, discovered a product, patented a product, you know, all this different stuff. And they're trying to give him a million dollars for it. Right. So his feeling was always that, um, you know, here's this product that helps treat the disease, not the symptoms, but the actual disease. Mm. In fact, there have been several cats that we've heard of that have gone and tested negative for FIV or tested negative for FELV. FIV used to be a disease that as soon as the cat was diagnosed with it, they would euthanize the cat. Oh, wow. LTCI was the first and only product at the time that was ever USDA approved for treating FIV. And it was the only thing that changed the direction from, all right, we're going to euthanize your cat to, okay, here's a treatment option. Interesting. So, once we got the approval for canine OA, um, we had a lot of companies that would come and try to make offers, but it's like, we're not going to sell this for a million dollars. Yeah. And so he just had the feeling that 
what they were going to do was buy it and then shelve it because, you know, like if, if this gets popular, all of a sudden our product that simply treats the side effects of mm -hmm. the disease won't be relevant anymore. Right. And, you know, that kind of disruption doesn't sound very good. <laughs> and even talking about it, I might get in a little bit of trouble from <laughs> my yeah. father-in-law. Um, but yeah, and so, you know, he just decided this isn't a good idea for it because I don't want it to get shelved. I mean, I've spent right. my entire life doing this. And like I said, he's 73. Um, he will probably, ne he'll probably retire before he ever realizes his real life's work. Mm -hmm. And I've sort of taken upon myself that mantle of, can I get to the point where hopefully Terry you know, can still be alive when he sees, you know, the culmination of all of the effort and all of the work that he's put into this, you know, can I help him realize that? Right. And, uh, I like a good challenge. I, I don't <laughs> think I'd still be doing what I'm doing if it wasn't a challenge, but that's a pretty tall <laughs> order yeah. to try to, you know, take the mantle of realizing, you know, this doctor's life's work. I think I saw a, um, uh, an article or something about like astrophysicists or astronomers or whatever. And, and it's like the work that they do now, they know that they will never see the culmination of the work that they're putting into it. I mean, you know, if, if we think about like astronauts and going to space, there were a lot of people that started the work and never got to see it actually happen. Mm -hmm. You know, like when the first man steps on the moon, you know, there were countless people that put in the work way back here and then never got to see it, but they know that. And they hope that their contribution is beneficial to this whole thing. My hope is that I can allow Terry to see, you know, the realization of his contributions to this. And you guys are doing the uh, unthinkable. You're actually curing like you said, the disease itself versus the symptoms. And there's uh, unfortunately no money to be made and healthy people or, or even in this case, felines, yeah, we'll, right? we'll stay away from words like cure, but, um, right. we're definitely working to treat the actual disease rather than the symptoms of the disease. And, um, we talked about it before, but I'll give an example. And that is Terry would always talk about specifically arthritis. Um, he says to think about it like a, a, a drywall wall and a guy going along with a hammer and he's just pounding nails in that wall. And if you think about, like I have tendonitis in, in certain um, tendons and it hurts. I mean, it's just this weird tingling, but a painful tingling of, you know, those tendons and, and arthritis can kind of feel like that as well. So if you think of those nails being that feeling that you're getting with your arthritis, most um, treatment options treat the holes that those nails create. And so they go and they patch them up and it's about treating the pain, treating the symptoms that you get from the thing. Um, but while you patch those holes, that dude is still nailing holes in the wall. And so all yeah. you're doing is trying to cover up going behind the guy. Well, we're trying to stop the guy from hammering the nails. Right. And that's the thing when he illustrated it that way to me, you know, that was the best way that I could kind of take a handle on it. Cause again, like we said, you're not a doctor. I'm not a doctor. I don't Correct. understand all those different things, but it's what helped, you know, illustrate it to me of, okay, I get it. We're not patching the holes. We're trying to get the guy to stop hammering the holes. Right. 
So with that, uh, we're going to go ahead and wrap it up here. But um, I know you said you've been taking it too, and it's kind of helped out with some. Yes. Um, the the biggest thing that I've seen, so uh, we talked about the fact that I, I run a decent amount. I still don't like to refer to myself as a runner, but most people make fun of me because they say that I actually am. I'm doing this Ragnar race in two weeks, which is 32 miles, about 8,500 feet of elevation. You know, it used to be, I ran a marathon when I was in college, never did again for 20 years because, you know, as you get older, your joints, your knees, your ankles, whatever, um, they just can't stand, you know, the amount of pounding that it takes to, to do a race like that. Well, I started taking it because of my daughter taking it, you know, it was like, okay, if I'm going to tell her it's good for her, I better, you know, man up and and do my part. So I started taking it. And I realized, wait a second, I can run more than two miles now. Oh, I can run more than four miles now. And it got up to last year, I did this nanny goat race um, up in Riverside. It's a, they have options for six hours, 12 hours and 24 hours. I did the 12 hour, I got in 45 miles. Um, it's the longest that I've run so far. You know, But I you're not a runner. I'm not a runner. <laughs> that, is, that is nuts. And so it, it just helped, huh? It's helped massively. I mean, again, it's not something that you feel right away, but all of a sudden, like I just realized here's this thing that I haven't done for a bunch of years because of the pain that it causes me. Like I would, I would have to ice my ankles after a two mile run, you know, like Uh stick them in a bucket of ice. I haven't done that for, I don't even know how long. Um, so yeah, I just like, Hey, it helps me be able to do the thing that, and I run mostly for just the mental health part of it. I think mm. one thing that 2020 and, and whatnot caused was a, a rise in anxiety and, and whatnot. It definitely helps my anxiety. And so taking the pro boost has allowed me to keep up with the type of running that I feel like I need to do. And mostly I do it because when my son is 16, I'm going to be, you know, 56 years old and uh, I've got to be able to keep up with him. And, you know, that means staying off the couch and staying active and, and whatnot. So it's definitely helped me with that. Awesome. So where can people go to learn more about ProBoost or see about ordering it if they wanted to try it out? We have a website, ProBoostNow.com. So P-R-O-B-O-O-S-T and then now. Um, so they can buy it there. There's a bunch of studies. Um, we link to all of the papers that have been done Um all of the testing and, and, and other reports that have been written about it. So they can get that information there. Um, uh, there's support at proboostnow.com. They can send us an email. Um, we have Instagram and, and Facebook as well, but reach out. What's the want to. It's just proboost now. Okay, nice. All right. Is there a final pitch to people that you'd like to say, or maybe just, <laughs> well, specifically for ProBoost, I think the biggest thing is it's risk-free. You know, um, if you give it a try and it doesn't help out for the specific thing that you need it to help out for, you know, it's no loss to you. Just return it. We'll give you your money back and you can go from there. I think the people that are going to benefit the most are people with specific immune related conditions. Um, and again, it's not a miracle cure. It's not something you're going to like feel better the moment that you take it or whatever, but give it a shot, you know? And, um, if you have low white blood counts, white cell blood counts, white blood cell counts, something like that, um, it can help, um, improve your white blood cell levels. 
Um, but yeah, if you have a specific immune condition, those are the people that should really be trying it. And for me, uh, endurance athletes, if you are an athlete that, you know, does anything for more than four hours at a time, you are destroying your immune system. Um, so I take it because like, I just murder myself pretty much every day and I've got to make sure I can get out of bed the next morning and do it again. There you go. Well, thank you again, Mr. Steve Patterson, for coming in, talking about this. Thank you. And, uh, you know, for anyone out there, if you think that this is an important message, make sure you like, you subscribe, you share this with people. Uh, you never know. You know, uh, a lot of people are waking up. A lot of people are doing their own research. They're looking for holistic medicines. They're looking for alternatives uh, to the stuff that we've been sold for so long. So this might just be it for you. This yeah. is why I had him on because I wanted to talk about it. I thought it was a really interesting story. And so... Again, if you like this, if you want to continue to help our work here, just make sure you like, subscribe, you share with people. And uh, again, thank you so much for your time, Mr. Steve. Thank you, Anthony. Thanks.